Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, not a former D1 Hooper, not a current high school coach, not a teacher, not a husband. Not a father, they're amazing kids. But you are in my former playing grounds of Washington, D.C., Omari. I am in Washington, D.C., home of the great American University, where uh, Bryce Simon's jersey is hanging in the rafters. I'm that is not true. That is not <laughs> true. My jersey is not hanging in rafters of any gym in the entire country. The jersey retirement is happening next year. No, no. It's not. Why not? No, nothing will okay. be happening. Um, right, one day. Omari. Word out of Twitter is you already got your first angry email of the season. Detroit Pistons basketball is officially back. Yeah, it didn't take long. Uh, the spirits were pretty good after their opening night win against the Magic, and then uh, things kind of went south. Uh, I forget which game that was. I think that was the New York Knicks game. Uh, I got an email like around the second quarter, and then I got a couple of angry emails after the Pacers loss, which was probably a worse loss than the Knicks game, honestly. So. Uh, it's that time of year. It's that time of year. You know, it's the time of year where fans realize that uh, this is, in fact, still a rebuild. And the Pistons are, in fact, still going to lose more games than they win. You know, unless they miraculously click halfway through the season and go on a, on a run like the uh, Pelicans did last year. Which, hey, I, you know, I can't rule that out. I mean, I think they have enough talent to win more than the 23 games they won last year. But fans are going to be angry. Uh, they're going to vince me because, you know, my job is to do fan customer service and and that's just the arrangement i thought after the preseason omari the fans expectations had lowered a little bit i thought maybe they would be prepared but then like you said opening night was a fun game you even tweeted this out it was fun that night the pistons obviously won but it may have raised the expectations back to a point that wasn't healthy for what was actually going to come. I don't even know if expectations raised. I think that even if fans expect to lose, the actual process of watching the losing is still frustrating. Like I think the Lions sure. are going through this. The Lions fans are going through the same thing. Where, like, come on, like we knew they were going to be bad this year. Like they added nothing important on defense. Like there was just no chance they're going to be good. Uh, you know this. They did a full roster teardown like a year and a half ago. They're not going to be good. Like they weren't going to win more than five, six games at the absolute most. So why is everybody upset? Like it's the same with the Pistons. I think people like the idea of rebuilds, but then you know the, the reality sets in that everybody's twenty-two years old and uh, they're going to do a lot of stuff that's not good for Woody. So uh, I do think they'll get better as they go on. But right now, yeah, they're just going to complain to me. I'm going to read it and tweet starky things every now and then. Let's talk about some of those young players, Omari. And we're going to start with the face of the franchise, Cade Cunningham. Right now, he's averaging 18-7-4, but it is on less than 40% from the field. He is 35% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Only 10 free throw attempts uh, total, not per game, total so far for Cade Cunningham. Where do you want to start with Cade Cunningham? It has been a little bit inefficient. What have your thoughts been on his game? Let's just stay to the offensive end right now. I think the, um, like what we've seen with Cade just through, you know, his first uh, year and three games is it seems like he just takes a while to get going. I mean, you know, I don't think people need reminders that he started last season shooting one for 21 from three. I believe it was after he came back from the ankle and then he had the hip pointer and he came back from that and it took a while to get going. And I think it might have taken a few games after he had uh, COVID as well. Uh, so we've kind of just seen that this is the case for him. Uh, like I know, I guess we're kind of at the point now where he struggled through preseason a little bit. I won't say he struggled. Like he, I don't think he struggled really at any point. It's just... He was very inefficient in the preseason also, Amari. Like the shooting percentages were even lower than what I just outlined for the three regular season games. It's fair to say he struggled scoring the ball uh, in preseason. And he's gotten a little bit better, but not quite. You know, perhaps toward the end of that uh, Pacers game where he kind of caught fire in the fourth quarter. He hit his first five shots. I think he uh, scored slash assisted. Uh, it was like 17 points. I think he had 12 in the fourth. And then he assisted uh, a couple buckets inside and then a three. So I think that's 19, actually. Which that looked a little bit more like Vince's Cade. It was too little, too late. Uh, but... Uh, maybe that's a sign that he'll perk up a little bit and he'll do a little bit better uh, Tuesday against the Wizards. But I think it just takes some time to get going. Like if by next episode he's still struggling, he didn't really shoot that much better against the Hawks in those in that back-to-back coming up. Maybe at that point it's a bigger discussion. But I think Cage is the type of player where you have to give it five, six games before you can really 
start to wonder just because we kind of saw this happen last season as well. Well, I feel like what I've seen from fans the most, Amari, is they're frustrated with his in-game play style in the he's kind of lets the game come to him early in the game and he gets teammates involved and you don't see a lot of aggressiveness. And then he does try to take over late. Like you said, the fourth quarter against the Pacers, we saw him get it going. He got fully in his bag and showed all the things we want to see from Kate. Do you think that's okay from Kate Cunningham? Do you, do you have issues with him kind of taking that mentality into each individual game of I'm going to let other guys get going and then I'll show up and score the basketball when the team really needs me to. Yeah, I think like from the standpoint of he's your your primary guy, uh, I think it's natural to want to see him be a little bit more aggressive from the jump. And I actually kind of asked him about that in the locker room uh, after the uh, Pacers lost. Like, how do you find that balance between uh, knowing when to take over like he did in the fourth quarter and maybe taking more of a back seat and letting other guys get going. And you know, he kind of just said that it's a, a, a process, right? That, you know, it, it varies. And, uh, he, he didn't say this, but obviously I don't think he's going into games expecting to shoot 38%. Like he's not thinking I'm going to shoot, you know, 25% through quarters one through three and then 100%. In he's the not, he's quarter. not trying to be inefficient until yeah. the fourth quarter. Like, you know, like he didn't say that directly, but that's just, you know, like he's, Talks about it being a process. Like, he's not planning to do that. Like, maybe just take some time to find a rhythm. Um, and also, the roster's a little bit different. You know, he's playing with J- Jaden Ivey a lot, and Jaden obviously needs the ball as well. And I'm excited to talk about him, by the way, because he's done a lot of good stuff. But yeah, again, I, like, I, I just think it takes K time to uh, just kind of find his rhythm. And, you know, I, I do think that by this time next week, he'll probably have popped off for like 32 points against, you know, DC or one of those two Hawks games. And, this would be a distant memory. But, uh, you know, again, I think especially after the offseason he had, he talked about putting on extra muscle and talked about running him, running him out of the post, which they didn't really do, haven't really done a lot of in the regular season. And uh, he's worked on the shooting, all this stuff, and for it to not really translate yet. I, you know, I kind of understand how there could be some frustration from those at home watching, just expecting him to kind of uh, seize the bull by the horns, especially looking at how Jalen Green and some of the other guys from that class have kind of come out the gate uh, hot. And, uh, you know, maybe I hit the hornet's nest there. But, uh, uh, no, like, long story short for me, I just want to give him an extra week before I start to panic. Well, I hope the back-to-back 30-point games against the Warriors and the Bucks that would lead right into next week's episode, have everybody extremely excited to listen to the Pistons Pulse next Tuesday. I, I think I would like to see him be a little bit better, Omari, finding those moments within the game where the momentum's starting to swing. I think it's okay to wait till the second half, but if you've built a 15-point lead, let's say, and then the Pacers are coming back and they get it down to five, I would like to see Cade recognize that and be like, okay, I need to go get a bucket right here. I do want to ask you this. Is there anything you, and it's only three games. It's only three games. Do you think he's going to be the primary score, like the number one score when this team is really winning games in two or three years down the road? And has anything you've seen this year kind of swayed that opinion? I think that when people compare him to a player like Luca, I think that at maybe sex expectations too high because Luca is just an entirely different uh like Kane's feel for the game is really good, but like Luca's feel for the game is just like just a completely different level from even most superstars even. Uh you know, like I think that's just tough to live up to. Uh, I think the thing that worries me well, I wouldn't say it worries. I think the thing about Cade is that he has to engineer his buckets. Uh he doesn't really seem to get a lot of easy shots. And maybe that'll come as a deep you know, stuff's going to be in more of a playmaker. Uh, Boyan's been good, and he's, you know, like probably what you want from Sadiq every single night. And Sadiq has been good. Uh, you know, and as Ivy gets better, maybe Cade will be able to do that more. But it just seems like Cade, even on his good nights, he always has to work a little bit for his shots. And that's the thing that kind of makes me wonder um, if he does have that type of ceiling uh, because he's not the quickest guy. He's not the, the highest leaper. So some things just won't come as naturally for him. Now, when he's cooking, like, you don't even think about that, right? Like, he's just, you know, he's putting up points. It looks easy. And he does have nights where it looks easy. But when it's off dice, it really does not look easy at all. And I think, you know, for your primary score, you probably just want it to be more shots aren't falling and not he's struggling to score from left or he's just like a touch slow. And I think sometimes you find yourself thinking that a little bit more than you probably like to. 
Yeah, I think I do the Luka comparison a little bit too much. And I was the reason I thought about this, actually, Amari, was because of the Luka comparison. I'm like, I just don't know that he's ever going to be the scorer that Luka is. And you bring up a good point. It doesn't seem like he ever gets a super easy bucket. He makes some tough shots, but you'd like to see him create some easier ones. And maybe that does come with playing with Jaden Ivey, who you mentioned earlier, who has been really good. And maybe the most impressive thing for me, Omari, is Jaden Ivey creating opportunities for his teammates. I tried to tell people that this kid passed the ball better and was more unselfish than what people wanted to give him credit for. I feel a little bit vindicated through three games because we have seen that from Jaden Ivey. What has impressed you the most about the young rookie? Yeah, I remember before the draft, we talked about that being something we weren't slowed on, his, his passing. Uh, he really didn't dish up any more assists and turnovers in college. Uh, and then after we they drafted him, we kind of reconsidered, and we were like, well, he gets downhill so easily that it really won't be that hard for him to drive and kick. Like, maybe we're overcomplicating it. He's not going to, you know, be nutmegging guys or anything or, you know, throwing full-court touchdown passes. <laughs> but as far as him just driving and kicking, that should be pretty easy. And I think that's basically what happened. Uh, you know, like I talked to him uh, last week. I just asked him what's been the difference in the NBA uh, that's allowed you to pass the ball so much better. I think his assist to turnover ratio is like 2-1 to one right now. And he just said the, the spacing. Uh, like he has room to operate. He gets downhill. Um, you know, you drive five defenders and then you have a shooter open. And he's been really good at finding those shooters. Some of the passes he's thrown, like they've like he's hit, hit he's hitting shooters right where you want to hit shooters at. Um, the passes have been really on the money. Like he's just been good. Like you know, like every time he goes downhill, he draws four or five sets of eyes, and that over time, I think will continue to pay more and more dividends for the Pistons as shooters are like, okay, like I know when Ivy drives, I got to be ready to shoot, and you know, Cade will be able to play off of that, so he will be able to play off of that. So um, yeah, I'm starting to buy into him being more of like a lead point guard now. Uh, I think like what he's doing now is entirely sustainable. And we've seen it. We even saw it in, in summer league. Like, I think we have enough of a sample size of where we could say, uh, like, I think this is who he is. And uh, he's definitely going to be a productive passer throughout his NBA career with a lot of room to grow, obviously too. Like he's doing it transition and half court right now. And there's a lot he can add to his bag. That he doesn't have right now. Well, and what I'm impressed with Amari is he's doing it in the half court. I think we all knew that Jaden Ivey was super fast, could get end to end as fast as maybe just about anybody in the league, but he's doing it in the half court in isolations. He's playing off the ball. I've been really impressed with his off ball cutting, his off ball movement. He's doing it on the ball with ball screens. He's averaging 18, five and six. And I know what we're going to get. What you guys said he was only going to average 12 points a game. We will happily be wrong. We will happily be wrong. Amari's smiling right now. Right now, as am I. We'll be wrong. And if he, if he sustains this, then, I mean, we're definitely going to be wrong. And, and my guess is it comes down a little bit. But those are really good numbers. But even more, Omari, his shooting splits. He's shooting 50% from the field. He's being very smart with the three-point shots he does take, which has led to shooting 46% from three. It's just been really impressive for a guy who everybody talked about didn't play with any nuance. And I'm like... Yeah, he's fast. Yeah, he has a first step, but he's showing some nuance early in his career as well. Yeah, he is. And I think what really impresses me about the efficiency is that he's been good, but he hasn't been great, right? Like, he's been good, but just still a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, he kind of drove without a, a plan there, or the three-point shooting could obviously be a little bit better. Uh, he doesn't have super high volume in the three years right now, which I think you and I both expected. You know, he can improve his touch. Like, we, you know, I know you talked about how he can get the floor game down and just like that in between because right now defenders can give him space and just kind of entice him to drive, which frankly doesn't matter. But, like, there's really no way you can play him that's going to prevent him from not getting into the lane. But, yeah, I mean, he's been a lot better than I think you and I both expected this early. Uh, still a lot of season to play. Uh, if, I mean, if he averages 18 a game on the splits he's averaging now. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be... I rookie say, of the year. He's going to be I, rookie of the year. Well, I would say that, but Ben Math and Paolo have also been great. So, you know, I think that's to the TVD. I just want to say, Omari, Ben Math, Paolo was my number one pit guy in the draft, and Ben Math, not on purpose, but became my guy on Pistons Twitter. I still said I'd take Ivy over him, but those guys have looked really good. Maybe I know, maybe I'm pretty decent at draft scouting. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you know a thing or two. Go ahead and take your... Go ahead and take your victory lap because those guys have been killing it. And and I'll say this about Paolo. Like, I kind of was talking myself down on it, and then I kind of thought about it again. And I'm like, well, I'm doing the thing that a lot of draft people do where you nitpick a player's flaws so much that you forget that 
their floor is still pretty high, right? Like, it's like, okay, like, we talk about the shooting and all this stuff, but it's like, okay, he's 6'10", uh, fantastic touch around the rim, fantastic footwork. Uh, he's already got a pretty good mid-range shot, so, and he sees the floor extremely well. I so he like, can pass. Yeah, so it's like, okay, so what's the, so what's the problem here? You know, like, he's gonna be a, <laughs> like, like, no team is going to be able to con- contain him because he could kill you in so many different ways. So I ended up coming back around Apollo because I was like, okay, I'm just – you know, maybe so. I went to Michigan State. There was like some 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 anti Duke stuff there too. But uh, overall, yeah, no, he's great. I think Orlando's going to be a really fun team. But yeah, long story short, Ivy's been good. You know, I think the NBA game uh, is as simple for him as it could reasonably be, given just his burst and his athleticism. That makes a lot of stuff easy for him. And you know, I'm still curious to see how him and Kate look long term because uh, I do think Ivy needs to really be able to shoot it. And Kate needs to be really be able to shoot it because he has a shot at that. Well, one of those guys has to be able to shoot for this to work. But overall, I think you should come away extremely encouraged by his, Ivy's first week because he's, he's been really good. He's been great. Nobody hates Duke more than me, Omari. So the fact that I had Paulo number one, that tells you how much I believed in that young man. I do want to say with Jaden Ivy, one thing I want to keep a focus on offensively, and we'll talk more about his defense when we get to the team defense a little bit later. I think it is that in-between game, the, the floater, a mid-range pull-up, something. And he does have good body control, Omari, around the rim, but he doesn't always finish. Like there's some sort of touch aspect with his finishing around the rim that definitely needs to improve I know we're getting nitpicky right now like we just talked about this with you know prospects you know with Paulo there but there is some some room for growth in those areas even though the shooting splits are good right now there is and that's what I mean like I kind of contradicted myself by saying he's been very good and great like he's been good he hasn't been great because you see those areas where he's leaving some things on the table yeah uh, which is why you kind of look at the efficiency and it's like just by watching him play, I would think he was more like 43%, uh, maybe like 32% from three. And it's like 50, like 37 or 38, you know, two to one assist to turnover ratio. And it's like, yeah, this is really good for a guy who has been above average for a rookie, but not just like absolutely crushing it. Cause you see areas for improvement, even on, on defense. Right. But yeah, he's given up some layups. Like he has some layups he should have finished that he just didn't do. And, you know, it's like, it's almost like he is so fast that he does not quite, um, it's like his body's faster than he's able to like kind of keep up with it sometimes, right? Like that's sort of the impression I get. And every now and then you see he kind of just helps his speed will bail him out. And it's like, but you still got to have a game plan down there. You can't just burst it up. It works out. Uh, I think he went for a dunk against the Pacers and he kind of came up short on. Uh, I mean, it's like it's, it's been three games where they're picking. The numbers have been good. He's been good overall. Yeah, like I think he's definitely going to exceed the 12 points per game to be predicted. It's funny you said that about the shooting percentages because I felt the same way when I looked him up. I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Jaden Ivey shooting 50% from the field? Yeah. Jaden Ivey shooting 46% from three? Like, I I would not have guessed. I would have been way wrong if Wes would have came in with one of his, you know, games at the end of the episode and been quizzing us on shooting percentages. I would have been way wrong. But, Omari, let's talk about the other rookie. Jalen Duran came in opening night and just exploded onto the scene. He did all the things we've talked about. I know you got to talk to Dwayne Casey on Monday about Jalen Duran. Can you give the listeners some insight into what you talked to Dwayne Casey about and some of the answers he gave you? Yeah, and also a, a quick Duran story on Freep.com today, so check that out, quick plug. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just asked him, just you probably don't expect to have to rely on an 18-year-old to the extent that you've had to rely on coming into this season, just how has he measured up. And Dwayne said he expected him to be really good. You know, he sees him behind the scenes. He sees how he rebounds, how he's able to block shots. Uh, defensive timing is obviously pretty good. And you know, I don't think he's been maybe as surprised as maybe some people watching have been. You know, I say that, but I also know that there was people predicting that, you know, he would be a starter by week two. So, you know, there's like a million Pistons fans, so you have a million opinions. You know, but they're happy with, with what they've seen. And I think that throughout the season, they're still going to try to not overload him too much. Uh, like you'll notice, he hasn't really gotten too high above 20 minutes per game in those opening games, even though him and Isaiah Stewart are the only healthy centers on the roster. So they've been, you know, like trying to find the right balance as far as that. You know, we saw him and Duran play. I'm not, we saw Isaiah Stewart and Duran play together some preseason, not as much during the regular season so far, just because rotation-wise, you beat both of them at the five instead of the four. Uh, so I think there's still some stuff we'll see down the road. But Duran's been good, man. I mean, just he's averaging – what he's averaging in like 20 minutes a game, uh, like nine points, eight rebounds. Uh, I think he's around a block and a half. Uh, still obviously very raw, but he's kind of like Ivy in the sense that he's such a great athlete that some stuff just comes easy, whether it's catching lobs, being able to contest shots. Uh, but then like the mental approach, he's using his verticality against 
Indiana, he wasn't just like running like a bull to contest threes. Like he was very intentionally trying to like like to rob Williams, just kind of leap and pitch your hands as high as possible. <laughs> yeah, like, to say the, two, the two-handed contest at the three-point line is something new for for me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> with I haven't seen any Pistons players do that in my time here, so that that was kind of new. But I, I like it. He already has his his signature contest at the three-point line. Yeah, and then, you know, for two of his three games to not have any fouls, and he picked up, you know, two quick ones against New York, which is going to happen. But I think he's done a good job of not fouling overall, too. So that's he's probably been close to, like, the best-case scenario, I think, that you could expect from him this early on, where he's already the best rebounder on the team. You know, Bagley's out, so he's already a very, very good live catcher. Uh, he's just doing a lot of stuff that the Pistons need, and he's doing it at a fairly high level, especially for a guy who's 18 years old. So just overall, I think he's been – just really, really good relative to what you'd expect from someone his age. Yeah, I think he only has four total fouls, Amari, on the whole season, all of those in the Knicks game. But what I like from one of the questions you asked Dwayne Casey was, he mentioned that he's doing some of those things you talked about, but the other stuff is going to come. The jump hook, the free throws, the passing, spacing, all those things. I'm, I'm just... It made me feel good to hear someone within the organization talk about the value of those things, and it made me feel good that they're going to prioritize the development of those skills because I'm the one and I took a little bit of heat on opening night Omari because I've said you know maybe some G League time for Jalen Duran overall for me Omari all it was about was I don't want him just to be a play finisher I don't want him to just be a lob threat and an offensive rebounder I see a bigger offensive package from Jalen Duran and I just want to make sure those things are prioritized and it sounds like from when you talked to Wayne Casey today, the organization definitely is going to prioritize those things long term. They are. Um, like, I think their expectations for Duran are extremely high. I mean, he was top five on the draft board. So, you know, obviously they probably should be highly of him given that you look at that draft. And, you know, I think Duran across the league, if you, you know, just talk to scouts or draft analysts or whoever, you know, it was probably more in that maybe nine through 15 range. And the Pistons were a lot higher on them. And we know Trey Weaver likes athletic bigs so you know that's probably not that surprising but to your point playing with the Motor City Crews athletically he's going to dominate everybody so you know like my point was more if you're using them the same way the Pistons are using them then he's just going to put up a 2020 because no one's going to be able to compete with him but if you use them like the Cody Yokis you're like yeah we're going to have them shoot some jumpers uh, we're going to have them you know bring the ball up to court uh, we're going to have them make passing reads like we're going to do all these things and we're just going to basically make him play the way we want him to play like four or five years down the line, then there could be a lot of value there. So I would say like as good as Duran has been, like once Bagley comes back, I do think that that will eat into a lot of what you're getting, you know, from Duran already and with the Pistons off from him already. So I don't know if his performance so far, like guarantees a big role for like the entire season. And also, he's 18 years old, so he's going to ebb and flow, right? Like, just because he's doing this now doesn't mean that he's going to average a foul and a half a game for the rest of the year or, or be a double-double threat every single night. Like, he's going to have some bad nights. So, they're being patient with him. We're not going to speed that timeline up, but obviously, great first week for him. Absolutely. It was exciting to see it. He's been, both of those guys have been what we expected and maybe even more. I think you said it with Jaden Ivey. It's pretty much been best case scenario with both of those rookies and hopefully they continue to look good and progress and we see development throughout the year. You also mentioned Jalen Duran playing with Isaiah Stewart. When we come back from this short break, we'll talk about Isaiah Stewart, how he's looked through three games and then the offense and defense as a whole. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want to you try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. 
All right, we're back. We're going to dive right into Isaiah Stewart, who on paper he's averaging a double-double, 11 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, he hit that clutch three against Orlando basically to, to win the game uh, on Wednesday, which was a big moment for him. And the uh, three-point stew hive, which I know like the beat writers have been you know part of just because we've watched the behind-the-scenes work on it and we know that the organization has had this plan for him for a while. You know, even if you haven't always seen it in regular season games last year. So, so you're starting to see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff coming to fruition. The efficiency has not been great, and long-term is not an issue, but he is very much caught in between development phases right now where we're seeing the issues he has around the rim, and the three-point efficiency is not quite there. So it's like, you know, it's just like the growing pains, basically. Like, it's nothing to really worry about, but he's just very much... Um, you know, his strength, which not long term will be three-point shooting, is not quite yet a strength. And he still had to play a lot of center and, you know, do things around the rim, uh, which he's never been great at, you know, just because he's, uh, he's a little undersized uh, with Bagley and some other guys be about. So to me, I think he's just in a weird kind of tweener stage. You know, he's going through puberty, uh, per se. And, you know, I think he'll kind of correct himself as the season goes on. I think the biggest thing with him, Omari, is he has to keep shooting him. Like, he can't stop. We've talked about this. That, you know, the preseason game against the Grizzlies, I believe it was, where he missed the first three or four. We've already talked about this, and then he came back and hit two or three. The You know, against the Magic, he had missed every three-point attempt up until what essentially was the game, you know, finishing shot. It wasn't game winning, but it put the game on ice. I was listening to the low post, and Chinny Abumake was on there with Zach. Low, and she talked about the mindset you have to have. You can't change your mindset as you're transitioning to become a three point shooter. In like one game, I'm going to shoot it. The next game, I'm not. Like it always has to be the mi- the same mindset going into every game, into every possession. And I think that's what's going to be important for Isaiah Stewart Amari is going into every game, no matter who it's against, a good team or a bad team going into every ball screen, pick and pop, the mindset has to be the same, that he is a shooter and he can knock down these shots. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting, especially if he does shoot it at 20% for the first 10 games of the season. And I think the pace that when he shot, he shot threes, 14 attempts through three games, for him it's pretty blistering. Like that's almost five attempts a game, which you know a lot of good shooters around the league are averaging around that. Yeah, it's just growing pains. I think it is good for him to experience uh, in multiple games, having to shoot yourself into a rhythm because he's going to have to do that some nights. You know, you're not always going to hit your first two or three attempts. You're going to have nights like Wednesday where uh, you start off 0 for 3 and then you're wide open in the corner in case, like, you know, I trust you and he didn't even hesitate. Like, he hit it and he drained it. That does a lot for your confidence. So, the percentage-wise, I don't know where he's going to hit up this year. It might, you know, he might rebound and shoot 35%. Uh, he might be around 25%. I honestly don't know. But I believe in a shot. I think a lot of his three-pointers have looked good, even if they haven't fallen. Uh, so with a couple lucky bounces, I mean, low volume, you make like two more, you go up from 21% to now you're in the 30s and it looks a lot better, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm encouraged by what I've seen this past week. I like the volume. I like how his jump shot looks. I like that he's hit a really clutch one to win a game and the confidence boost that comes with that. And I know he takes three-point shooting really seriously. He's not intimidated by this. He wants to be a good three-point shooter. He knows how important it is. He knows that the Pistons want that from him. To see that volume, I think, and to see the leash he's been given to you know, shoot himself into a rhythm, I think is really good for him. And I think the struggles around the rim magnify why the three-point shooting needs to come around him. We've seen him struggle, finish in the dunker, lobs, those type of things. And that magnifies why he has to become a better three-point shooter and then the skill sets that will come around that as well. Let's transition this right into the offense as a whole, Amari, which some of the numbers and I'll just read them off real quick 111 points per game middle of the pack in the league not very good from two we can dive into that in a second 35 percent from three uh, some of these numbers are probably skewed by the time all the games have been played but at one point in the last day or so that was fourth in the NBA Omari in total made threes a far cry from how this team started out shooting the ball last season they're top five in fouls drawn which I think is really impressive and they're only averaging 13 turnovers a game they're third in assists per field goal made their percentage of field goal made that have been assisted 72 percent is only behind like the Warriors and Gosh, I don't remember who the other team was, but like that's really good for a young team. Some of these offensive numbers are really, really encouraging to me. Yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers and uh, it's kind of like Jaden Ivey where if you had to guess, you would think it probably would not be that great. And then you look at it and it's like, yeah, this is 
this is fine. Like you would probably think they were two two and one instead of one and two. And honestly, I think they've had more issues on defense than offense. I oh think. yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like we have to shout out uh, Bogey Boyan Bogdanovic, who has been. Really, really, really good to start the season. Like, he's been, I think, their best all-around offensive player. Uh, he's shooting 50% for 3-11 for 22. Uh, he's 48.8% overall, 20 for 41. He shot them, him and Corey Joseph, because Corey kind of snapped that early drop they had when they started off 0-10 and he hits 2 in the second quarter. And then Bogey comes in, and I think he was like 5 for 7 for 3 that game or something like that. But he's just like, he had one where he like put up into the defender's face and hit it. And those are like those momentum swinging threes that they struggled to get last season. So to have an offensive player as proficient and as confident as Bogey, I think really solves all the issues for this team as we expected it would. You know, also, you just look at some of the other players. Like Sadiq, um, he's only 6 of 18 for three, but overall, I think he's been really good Yes, offensively. You know, and then you, you talk about the passing. Uh, you know, they have two guys who are moving the ball really well in Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Uh, Kate has 21 assists, 9 turnovers. Ivey has 18 assists, 11 turnovers. And Killian Hayes has also passed the ball really well. So, you know, all three of your young guards are, you know, doing what you want your point guards to do, which is take care of the ball and create for others. And there's just, like, a lot of good stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to see those numbers, and then you watch them against the Indiana Pacers, and it's like, this team shooting like 10% from three on the season probably because they because they were just struggling. But we'll get to it. But a lot of their issues have been on defense, not offense. And I think as that defense begins to click, we can see this team be going to turn the corner a little bit. Would you like the a moment to take your quick Corey Joseph victory lap or you want to save that for a little? I mean, he, he's, he's four or five from three this season. He's shooting 80% from three. I, I know it's a small sample size, everybody. I get it. But Corey Joseph... He does do some nice things on the floor, Amari. He, the hate is too much for Kojo. And it's so weird because he is one of the most enjoyable guys on the team to talk to. Like, everybody loves him. He's embraced me to mentor for all the young guys. And, like, I talked to Kay Cunningham's older brother for the story about, you know, him putting on weight this offseason and just his offseason plan. And, like, he made a point to shout out Corey. Like, he said, I'm happy they brought Corey back just because Corey's really been, like, that mentor-type figure. Uh, so Corey does a lot of stuff. Um, not that we need to re- revisit the Kemba stuff, but, you know, Corey is not going – he plays his role. He knows what he needs to do. He doesn't complain. He's bought in. He does a lot of good stuff in the locker room. And you do have to give him a piece of the game ball for that win against the Magic because those two threes he hit early in the second quarter were the first threes on the board. They started 0 for 10, and that kind of got their momentum going. And I even talked to Dwayne about the second unit issues, and he said, well, you got to give the second unit some credit for that Magic win too because Corey came in and he gave them a lift. So, yeah, Corey Joseph, unsung hero, uh, he, he's definitely pretty good for this team, even with three young guards. Before we talk about the defense, Amari, the two-point percentage has not been good. So the Pistons are 18th in the league in three-point percentage, but 29th in overall field goal percentage. So almost dead last in overall field goal percentage. That tells you how bad the two-point percentage must be. I think I saw like 45% of their points come from two. So they're actually getting more points from three and then obviously free throws as well. What do you think? Is there something you can pinpoint with why the two-point percentage has not been good? Obviously not a team that shoots a lot of mid-range shots. That's not really a thing that Dwayne Casey wants. You know, the Pacers had their own little block party the other night. What do you think it is right now in the lane for the Pistons? Honestly, I think that number is a little fluky. And I don't think that's going to be an issue that's going – I don't think that's going to be a persistent issue all season. Like, I think Cade has had some issues finishing at the rim, but – you know, but I think he'll get better as the season goes on. We saw that last season. Uh, Killian's taking a lot more shots at the rim that he usually takes, and, you know, he just hasn't shot the ball very well. Isaiah Stewart probably single-handedly brought that down against the Pacers uh, on Saturday because he was missing a lot of bunny hooks and just couldn't finish over their left. Like, I kind of look at that, and I just – like Ivy's missed some bucks at the rim. He probably should have had. I just they they had a couple possessions where he played uh, volleyball or whatever you want yeah. to you know like just miss offensive rebound miss offensive rebound. Yeah, like like I I don't I'm not saying they're going to be like top ten like in field goal percentage in the paint this season, but I just don't think they're going to be as bad as they've been either. I just think that's a little fluky right now. The offense, I don't think there's a lot to complain about. We can nitpick. I do think it's stagnant in the half court at times. We'll talk about the second unit in general here in just a little bit because I think the fan base is being a little bit too hard on them when you consider injuries. But let's talk about the defense because for me, Omari, 
it hasn't been good. And I have my reason why I think it hasn't been good. And I'm okay with it because I would be a hypocrite if I wasn't understanding of it. I want to hear you first. So like, what do you think has, it has been defensively or maybe what has the coaching staff, you know, maybe mentioned as you guys have had a chance to talk to him? Well, the way it's talked about transition defense and that was going to be mine. I think they've been really bad um, in transition defense, like just giving those opportunities up. Like I think New York, like I have to go back and check, but like they didn't turn the ball over that much against New York, but like the points New York scored off of those turnovers was like, but wow, like they really <laughs> maximized almost every single possession. You know, like I think that's been a problem. And I think just part of the issue, too, is that the team just does not have that many good defenders. So I just think in general, they're going to have trouble slowing people down. Like maybe if Nerlens comes back and he has a big road, that'll help a little bit. But, uh, you know, you have Isaiah Stewart and Killian, and Killian is not, you know, necessarily play like the most minutes because you have Cade and Ivy in that backcourt. Like, I think there's a, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why, like, I could probably name eight, nine things, but to me, transition defense stands out the most. And then I think even, like, the baseline for this team as a defensive unit as a whole is probably just not going to be as cohesive as you, you'd like to see, you know, just because of the youth and just because I just don't think they have the personnel uh, to be a positive on that end. Like, you're starting bogey and Sadiq, they're going to struggle to contain a lot of wings, like a, a lot of ball handling wings, especially a variety of things. You know, they, they've kind of mixed up coverage. They've had some switching. They've had some some drop. Uh, like, I know people hate that they switch one through five, and, you know, I don't think they're going to always do that. They haven't done that in the regular season like they did during the preseason. So Dwayne's still toying and trying to figure some things out. But bottom line for me is that I just think personnel-wise, this team just probably does not have what it takes to really be – a plus on that end unless Duran makes a lot of quick strides. Yeah, I mean, I think the transition defense has definitely been an issue. The Jay Nivey stuff with him falling down after so many attempts, yeah. you know, it, it definitely turns into five on fours on the other end. It, it really does. And I don't know what the answer is, Omari. I know Coach Casey had a really interesting quote about comparing an analogy to, what was it, racehorses? I think he compared it to, like he's a little hesitant to pull back on the reins right now with Jaden Ivey, but it does lend itself to transition opportunities for the other team. I think in the half court, Omari, and this is what I was talking about before I let you go, I talked about this team not switching everything. I didn't want to see this team switch everything in the half court this season, and they haven't been. They've been playing a lot more drop coverage. They've been playing a lot more ice coverage in the ball screens. But because of that, if you mess those coverages up, it's going to put a lot of pressure on your rotations. You're going to end up leaving open shooters in the corners, and that's what we've seen. And so I'm okay with it because I do think the coaching staff is trying something new. They're trying something different. They're challenging these guys on the defensive end. Right now it hasn't gone well, but what would you expect, as you say, with a team that doesn't have a lot of great individual defenders, a lot of really young players in general? Yeah, I just I just don't know if the ceiling for this team defensively is that high. So the best you can do is raise the floor. Uh, you could find schemes that you know put players in position to succeed, uh, whether it's like, let's say Durant continues to have a big role, which, you know, like I'm not ruling out, just wouldn't be shocked if they kind of wind him down at parts of the season, but like maybe you run more drop coverage for him and he actually turns into a genuinely good rim protector. That makes some things easier because then you can just kind of funnel guys to the rim and just trust that he'll uh, disrupt things down there. Yeah, like I, th- like I think you just have to figure some things out. Maybe you realize that defensively uh, playing bogey and Sadiq together is just going to not work. So you find more minutes for Sadiq at the four. Like there's all sorts of stuff they could do. Uh, you know, maybe at the ends of games, you, you know, you play Killian Hayes in there and, you know, maybe let K run the offense and then, uh, you know, you're, you're fading Jaden Ivy just to get that extra defensive punch. Uh, I think just rotation wise and scheme wise, it's probably going to be some experimentation for two months until Casey figures out how to put players in positions to succeed. But I just don't know how high the ceiling for the team is defensively. So the best you can do is at least raise your floor to being as close to average as you can be. I mean, hopefully there's some internal improvement from those guys. I I do think it's interesting, Amari. How do you feel about the too big lineup or the lack of having a too big lineup where you start Boyan and Stu? Feels like you're kind of giving up something in the lane there with those guys. Do you think we eventually start to see maybe Casey change the rotation, change the starting lineup as we go throughout the year for defensive purposes more than anything? I think so. Uh, I think when, when they get Marvin Bagley back, for example, um, you know, because you have a, an, an additional center 
and you, maybe you don't feel as inclined to have to save Durin in case he picks up files. Maybe you can sprinkle Durin in with Stewart at parts and just see how they fare defensively. Because I think, and I know you agree, that the defensive upside of that pairing is very, very high. You know, and that could fix some things. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, like, I think long term they can get better. But I think just the way this roster is right now, they have the ingredients of a team that could be average next season, not this season. You know, as K gets better defensively, I think Ivy has to be a good defender, be a 6'4", with like a 6'9", or 6'10", wingspan. Like, you have players with some left. I mean, Isaiah Livers, Isaiah Livers also, uh, you know, missed a couple games, and I think he's going to be a productive defender, so that kind of factors into that as well. To me, it's it's just a a time thing. Like, you may try a lot of stuff this season that doesn't work, but as you get into the next season, players know their strengths, they know their weaknesses, coaching staff knows how to players to chance the weaknesses and then you can make a leap forward there. I agree and I want the coaching staff to play the long game it may be frustrating it may be hard throughout the entire season maybe this young core doesn't figure it out at all on how to switch you know sometimes you're switching this screen but with this guy you're going to drop coverage with this guy you're going to do something different I think it's good I think it makes them uncomfortable and that's how they grow but there are going to be a lot of growing pains with that but there are some high upside defenders as you mentioned Jalen Duran. we've seen him be disruptive at times but we've also seen him make mistakes at time so I think big picture it can be a good defensive team but it's going to take more time maybe even the offense which I don't know that the fan base really wants to see but when we come back from this short break we're going to talk some more about the rotations the starting lineup the second unit the three guard lineup that everybody has wanted to talk about and then also we'll take a quick look ahead to the games coming for the Pistons this next week I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back. We're going to dive into some of the rotations because I think that's also been one of the biggest storylines early and something Dwayne's talked about as far as just finding balance between the first and second unit. And there's been some injury issues in there that I think have kind of skewed things. But we've seen the same starting lineup through the five games. Uh, Kate, Jaden, Sadiq, Bogey, Isaiah Stewart, which is probably the starting lineup we both expected going into the year. The problem has been the second unit where, you know, basically you just you just lack shooting, right? Like, so for the first two games, it was Kojo Hayes, Hami, uh, Knox, and Durant. And you have one guy in that group that's like, a productive shooter and I think we definitely saw against the New York Knicks like you saw all five of those guys in and then the offense is going to complete hot which on paper probably isn't that shocking but um, I'd be curious to see how the rotations shift uh, certain players get healthier like Alec Burks uh, I think Livers coming back helps a lot and I think there's a balance that can be found to kind of keep the momentum going all throughout the year I think they will eventually have the depth to kind of fix some of those issues what did you think about the Kevin Knox experience, Amari? Uh, I didn't think a lot of it, honestly. <laughs> I mean, like, I think, I, like, I think on paper he has the tools to be a productive basketball player, but you have to hit shots. Like, that's just the bottom line. If you can't hit shots, then it's going to be tough to find minutes. He's so frustrating because, like, to me, the jumper looks good. It looks pure. Every time he shoots it, I think it's going to go in, and then it never does. And he does a few things here and there that are impressive. And it's like he never actually, you know, really got anything done. And so I found myself in a weird way wanting to continue to see more minutes from Kevin Knox. And obviously Isaiah Livers is our guy here on the Pistons poll. So when he came back, it didn't hurt my feelings at all that he took, you know, that he took his minutes back. It was interesting to see him get minutes. I'm interested to see moving forward. I assume at some point there will be opportunities again for Kevin Knox. But I do think it's been a little unfair for this second unit. And I feel like Dwayne Casey's got a lot of critiques for how the second unit has fared when you're missing maybe the three best players in the second unit, Marvin Bagley, Alec Burks, and then Isaiah Livers was missing there for a couple games. I do think there's a second unit you can put together that can be good and can sustain quality basketball, even when all five are on the floor. Because 
we've seen Casey. He doesn't go five for five, but based off what we've seen, Omari, he's not going to stop eventually having all five second unit players on the floor together at some point. Yeah, like I think, like especially for the fan base, you kind of see the frustration. And you have multiple guys who can create offense, right? I mean, you're seeing players come off the floor all at once. It's like, well, you know, press offense is going to sag me, right? But I think I would like to see at least one of Cade or Ivy on the court at all times, right? Like, I, I know they need to figure out how to play together, but I think staggering them could be good for them individually and just for the health of the offense as a whole. Uh, like, let's let Ivy run the show, you know, solo for a bit. Uh, like, we know Cade can do it. And, you know, I think that could fix some things. I think you could always have one of Sadiq and one of Bogey on the floor at all times, which, you know, as a secondary you know, player, I think that that would help. When they get Marvin Bagley back, that's going to help a lot because he will could be a six-man uh, type of player this year, obviously. We saw what he could do, you know, last year. And, you know, to have his creation around the rim, uh, like, honestly, even like even against New York, I think he would have made a really big difference just as a guy that could just kind of get you some emergency buckets. So, like you said, I think the injury woes have definitely factored into that. And, you know, as they get healthier, we'll see that second unit uh, kind of like tick up, especially as he begins to stagger more, certain guys more if he goes that route. I'm 100% that with Bay and Boyan because I don't think we're going to end up getting either. Do you think there's any chance either of those guys come out of the starting lineup? Because we're going to talk about the Stu Duran combination in just a second. But to get to that, at least in the starting lineup, obviously you would have to take one of Bay or Boyan and put them on the bench. It seems like ever since Boyan got traded for no chance Boyan's coming off the bench and Sadiq is playing well, at least offensively, I don't see any way you move either of those guys to the bench. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess it's like, who do you move them on the bench for? Because if you move if you move one of them to the bench and you keep Isaiah Stewart in the starting lineup, does that mean you're starting Marvin Bagley? And that it's like, you know, is is this like a net positive, right? So I would think that they probably stay in the starting lineup. Okay, so my my thing would be you start Stu and Duran together. One, because that could be the front court of the future. Two, those guys theoretically can play off of each other, right? Because Stu can space the floor. Duran can all, do all the big jumpy jump stuff in the lane. And you can match up defensively with those guys. I actually am very excited about the defensive possibilities of those two guys. And then in the second unit, you can play Bagley at the five, Omari, and let Boyan be the four in the second unit, and you don't have any spacing issues there as well. Or maybe it's Sadiq Bey at the four. I know you can do this by staggering minutes, but I just wondered if you thought there was any chance they just make the move in general for a different starting lineup. I think there's a chance. I would say I would be surprised if we see Durant start before like March, but I also wouldn't necessarily rule it out. Like Again, he's coming, he's playing really well. Uh, you know, he's somebody the front office Troy Weaver was really high on. So, um, it wouldn't, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if there's some support for that. You know, I just am curious to see, one, if Darren continues to play well enough to justify starting, because if he falls off, I don't think Dwayne's going to put him out there just to struggle. You know, I think they would definitely bring him along slowly. And, you know, two, there's probably ways you could balance the lineup without starting Darren. They'll play around with some things. It, it was surprising personally to see Durant start by like Christmas, but you know, again, depending on how injuries go or if he keeps dominating the way he's he's played, man, I wouldn't rule it out either. So that's more of a TBD for me, I think. Do you think part of the reason they don't stagger Cade and Ivy is because they still want to give Killian a chance to have the on-ball reps? Because if, if you staggered Cade and Ivy and ran one of those guys with the second unit, now you're almost exclusively playing Killian off the ball. I think that could be part of it. I also think Dwayne just likes to give lineups time to jail. And I think uh, those are like your two highest draft picks of this new era. So long term, you kind of need to see them jail uh, together. So you might as well give those those opportunities to do it now. So as the season goes on, maybe they get staggered more. But at least early on, I think they probably share a lot of minutes together just because they will have to figure out how to maximize each other. And you might as well get started on that now. So I can see that later, but I think, I think right now it would shock me to see them be more reluctant to have them play without each other. No, that makes sense. Because those guys, right, they have to be able to make it work. That's imperative. We've seen how good Kate can be. We've seen at least the foundation of how good Ivy can be. So those guys have to be able to make it work 
Let's talk about Killing Hayes. We mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode, Amari, but what have you thought through three games? I feel like the defense has been good. You know, we've come to know this about Killing Hayes, that he can be a good defender. He can be a disruptive defender. Offensively, he's passed the ball well. He has some assists. The shooting hasn't been good. He's shooting a very, very, very low percentage right now. Do you like the shots he's taken? Do you like his mentality? I, I, I know I was kind of high on his mentality after the preseason, but I don't know that I feel the same way right now through three games. Yeah, I think I liked him in preseason a little bit more. Uh, I thought his, the shots he took when he got to the paint were a little bit better. I liked that little lefty uh, kind of hook push shot thing he was doing. Yeah. Uh, I like that looked like something that could be a go-to for him, and we haven't really seen that, I feel, through the first three regular season games. Uh, so really, he's just... Like, he's just been killing him. Like, you know, like, he, the, the passing's good. The defense is good. Uh, you know, offensively, just a little bit of a mess. Um, you know, like, his, he hasn't been – I think he's been more consistent with his shooting mechanics, but they haven't fallen. He's kind of at the same strengths and the same weaknesses as before. And I think ideally this season, you ever want to see him become more efficient in the paint or more efficient shooting. And neither of those things have happened, so uh, for him, it's the same bottom line. Uh, like, he could pass and, shoot and defend, and those are – useful skills, but if you can't score the ball, um, it's just not going to work out. And he's also played with a second unit that also probably hasn't been tailored to give him the space he needs to kind of wiggle in and, and find enough space to finish shots. But, you know, at the same time, he's got to be able to do something. Like, he's, he's got he's got to be able to do something. That's what we've seen from him so far. I just think he's got to do a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we can't just keep waiting for Marvin Bagley III to come back and that to be the secret ingredient for him because it's going to be a little while for Marvin Bagley III. I I do know that second unit could look really positive for Killian if you have Alec Burks in there, Livers shooting the ball, and then a lob threat and Marvin Bagley. But, I mean, like you say, I still think if you're a good quality second unit point guard, you still can figure it out and look better than what he's looked like through three games. Before we talk about some of the combinations, what have your thoughts been on Hamadou Diallo? He's got an opportunity here with some of these injuries. I personally don't feel like he's taking advantage of those. Maybe you feel a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, well, he missed his first five free throws against New York. Yeah. Uh, like, he hasn't been good, but I think he missed all the preseason. He missed some, some, like some of the camp. Uh, that's true, that's true, yeah. Quad injury and... You know, it just wouldn't shock me if he's just working off some rest, just given that he did miss that much time. So, yeah, I mean, he kind of got thrust into the rotation just because of some injury issues. I think if Alec Burks is healthy, we probably see Burks in the rotation instead of Hobby. But, uh, you know, three games, he missed cap, he missed preseason. He probably just would take him some time to, to work off some rest. So, we know who Hobby is. We know what he does. You know, bad first week, but it doesn't really make me worry about him. I just think maybe after another week, he'll begin to kind of find his touch around the rim and uh, get more to the player he was previously where, you know, he could cut, push the ball, just give you some energy. So we saw the three-guard lineup. Finally, Omari, everybody's talked about it. That, you know, would they play Killian Hayes, Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham together? We saw it just a little bit. Is there anything about that lineup that intrigues you? Maybe something that worries you with that three-guard lineup? I know we talked about Killian not playing particularly well so far. I think there is some upside to it that's really intriguing, but you know, we said it earlier between Cade and Ivy, one of those guys has to shoot the ball well. But well, if you're going to play all three of those guys together, probably two of those three guys have to shoot the ball well. And right now, I mean, I know Ivy has in low volume, but, you know, I think there would be some spacing questions with the, that three guard lineup as it stands right now. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, that's the main thing for me is just the the spacing. Uh, Cade, 7 to 20 from three to 35 percent. Like, that's fine. Cade and Ivy, 5 to 11, lower volume, but like 46 percent, that's fine. Uh, Killian is one for nine, and I think that's what really hurts it because he's not a, a high-volume shooter or an accurate shooter. And Jaden, this season, may be able to knock him down when he takes them, but he's probably not going to take a lot of them. So to be a three-guard lineup just does not work unless two of those guys can really knock down shots. And uh, like, I, like I think Kate will be fine. Uh, it really comes down to Killian and Ivy. And if it's Ivy, but he's averaging you know two three-pointers a game, does that move the needle enough? And, you know, on top of that, you're running a three-guard lineup. Somebody, maybe Isaiah Stewart and, like, Bogey or Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq or Livers. And, like, you're getting some shooting in your front court. But if it's Marvin or, you know, at at the five, now you're not getting that shooting. So it puts a lot of pressure on the guards to knock down shots. So, like, there's a lot to like on paper. Like, Ivy draws a lot of eyes and can create open looks, obviously. Uh, You know, Cade's Cade. Killian's the best defender of the three and the first or second best passer so there's a lot to like but the shooting just makes it hard to work because for all those strengths 
you're still going to be able to hit shots and you're just not going to do that with cramp spacing. Yeah, I agree 100%. If those guys knock down shots consistently, if, if Ivy's doing it at higher volume, if Cade, you know, upticks to 37, 38%, killing, you know, makes some, then I think it can start to work and be a little bit more intriguing. You know, I, I do want to, Stu and, and Duran, Omari, what do you think about those two guys? We saw it for just a little bit. I believe it was in the Pacers game. They really ran a really intriguing horn set where, you know, you get Duran rolling to the rim, being a lob threat. You see Stu pick and pop. So I do think those guys can run together offensively. You could make it work if Stu's knocking down shots. And then I think the upside defensively between Stu and Duran is just incredible. Like, I think Duran just does a lot of the, the big man stuff that you're not getting from Isaiah Stewart, whether it's uh, being a, a, a live catcher and finisher. Like, his catch radius is insane. Like, I think it was Corey Joseph who took a three, and the three kind of bounces out the oh, front yeah. of the rim. And he just runs down the lane, two hands, grabs it, and just cocks it back and slams it. Like, that's most centers can't do stuff like that, right? So, and then the, the defense, like, I think he's been a very respectable rim protector so far, like shot blocker. He's just doing a lot of the traditional athletic big man stuff that Isaiah doesn't. And then you couple that with Isaiah playing more from outside. Uh, he had a drive to the rim even against uh, the Pacers that I liked. So it kind of cut the So if Isaiah can make any sort of uh, leap as a passer, uh, or even, even if it's just like throwing like a short lob, like he just takes the ball down. Like I think that there's a lot of things they could do on offense that would just work and that they could click together pretty well. And then defensively, obviously, Isaiah Stewart being able to defend one through five. And then uh, Duran, I think, has done a good job kind of defending within his space. Like, a little jumpy sometimes, but maybe not as much as you'd expect from a rookie. Uh, there's a lot to like. Like, I think long-term, like, they work perfectly fine as a four and five. And I'm excited to see more of that this season. That was a nice drive from Isaiah Stewart. You know, I know, I know it's small sample sizes with stuff like that, but he got in there. I think he gave a little fake, pivoted, and then like a little lefty hook finish or something like that. So, you know, we're going to get a chance this next week, Amari, to break down five more games before the next episode. They have the Wizards on Tuesday. Again, that's why you're in Washington, D.C. tonight. The Hawks on Wednesday, so a back-to-back there. Then they come back with the Hawks. The Warriors on Sunday and a back-to-back with the Bucks on Monday. We'll record next week after that Bucks game on Monday night. We got it right this past week, Amari. We said our Pistons were going to be one and two after three games. We both said that they they won one of the games we thought they would. We got five games: Wizards, Hawks, Hawks, Warriors, Bucks. What is the five-game record from the Pistons when we record next Monday night? Uh, I think they get one of those games. Um... I think Warriors and Bucks. I mean, it's the Warriors and Bucks. I don't think I need to explain why I think they're going to lose both of those, even though they did beat the Bucks last year. So, you know, I cannot take that away from them, but I don't see it right now. It wouldn't shock me if they got the Wizards. It wouldn't shock me if they got two of those games. It wouldn't shock me if they split against oh, the Hawks. It wouldn't shock me if they got the Wizards. But I think the safe answer is one. And also, see, you want to say two, so I'm just going to go with one to spice up the show a little bit. Well, that's I thought you were going to stay at one, and then all of a sudden you started talking yourself into two and the same reason I was. So I'm going to go two. I, I think they get a Tuesday night win over the Wizards, and then I think they get the second of the Hawks game. They're not going to win the back-to-back. But the next Friday against the Hawks or this Friday against the Hawks, I think they get a second win and they surprise some people, myself included, going two and three in this very tough five game stretch. What is one thing? Let's end the episode with this, Amari. What is one thing you want to see? It can be individually. It can be from the team as a whole. What is one thing you want to see over these next five games before we record the next episode? I want to see K pop off and put up like 35 points on 60% shooting. I I like it. Like, I think that's just what you want to see, right? Like, he's like the the rebounding, passing, I've been good. Defense has been solid. But uh, just get into his bag and put on one of those games that, you know, we saw him put on last season, which could very well be that second game against the Hawks, uh, going up against Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. So that's what I want to see. I mean, I still hope if he does it against the Warriors or the Bucks, But I'm going to go with the defense. Like, I'm kind of boring with that. I focus on that a lot. I want to see the defense. I want to – Here's what I want to see. I want to see the same stuff they've been doing, not switch everything, switch up the coverages, switch up the scheme. I would like to see, obviously, a little bit of improvement, the communication, those things. But I am intrigued to continue to watch it. We talked at length that it's not going to be perfect this year. It might be flat out bad. But 
I want to see them continue with that and maybe some slight improvement from the young players over this next game, over these next five games. Pistons basketball is back. NBA basketball is back. College basketball is coming soon. I know you're done with college football, so you, you're probably excited. I don't know. Is Michigan State basketball going to be any good, Omari? Yeah, this was like one of those Izzo teams where they start off kind of slow and then they start to like find their momentum in February and then they end up in like the Sweet 16 or something. So uh, that's 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 how I feel. I think there's going to be like three months of like Izzo questioning his guys. Uh, you know, there's going to be some existential like this Michigan State basketball. Okay, like we see this every like five years of Izzo and then the team figures it out and then they end up being good. So that's the vibe I get from this year. And then always after you have a season like that, they end up going to the Final Four and the recruiting class that have come after next year. Like I just see patterns of Michigan State basketball. So I think this is going to be like a 2015 season for them, but maybe not a surprise Final Four run. Here before we go, though, we did have a comment on the Detroit Bad Boys website. Thank you, Omari and Bryce. Always great stuff. Y'all's is the only podcast I ever listened to. And then they said, opening night, let's go Pistons. Really cool to see that. And then we had a new rating and review. Again, guys, it's the best way to support the podcast and help us grow. But this was from CJ Pistons 4. Love all the content. Go Pistons and also the Red Wings. Um I'm sorry to say I do not watch the Detroit Red Wings. I haven't watched a second of hockey this year. I don't know about you, Omari, but is there a free uh, beat writer that we can shout out covering the Detroit Red Wings? Actually, better for the first time uh, at the LCA a couple weeks ago. It was like a weird day where, uh, like, they had, I think the Red Wings had a practice that was like late before like a Pistons game. So, uh, Helen St. James, shout out to her. Uh, Longtime Red Wings writer, the uh, Pistons, the rare Pistons Red Wings synergy, which I feel like we don't always see the mention in the same comment. So, uh, yeah, uh, the only Pistons podcast that uh, they listen to. So, yeah, thank you for the support. Uh, that means a lot to us. Obviously, a very kind thing to say. So, appreciate that, CJ Pistons for. And with that, I'll go ahead and close this out. So uh, big thanks to Kerry Jeter II. Uh, thanks to our executive producer, Antoinette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, shout out to Wes. We'll talk to you all next week.